Let's continue to worship the Lord by silencing our souls and spirits and coming before Him in prayer. Almighty Father, our Creator and Redeemer, our souls magnify You this morning because You have provided for us a Savior. Father, we pray with Mary that our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. Father, You have done great things for us. Your mercy extends to those who fear You from generation to generation. You have performed mighty deeds with your arm. Father, you have scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You have brought down rulers from their thrones and have lifted up the humble. Father, you have filled the hungry with good things and you have sent the rich away empty. Lord, we recognize this morning our need for you. Even though you have blessed us with all sorts of material blessings, Father, we can never have enough of you. This morning, we pray that you would fill us with the things of your Spirit. Father, forgive us when we allow proud thoughts to fill our hearts. Forgive us, Father, when we allow our hearts to be filled by a sense of, of being satisfied and self-reliant. Father, we come to you this morning with humble spirits and with bold adoration. Father, we praise you that you are God, our Savior. Father, this morning we pray for our congregation. Father, we pray that you give us wisdom and guidance as we seek a new associate pastor. Father, we pray that you would lead our church in the right path, in the, in the leadership and in the process that we have to give in this stage of our church. Father, we pray for all those among us who are traveling during this Christmas season. Father, we pray that you give them travel mercies. Lord, for all of us this year, as we are thinking about this, this next week, the last week of this year, Lord, enable us to reflect on your blessings, on what you have given us. Lord, enable us to reflect on what you have taken away and seek to ponder what is it that we should learn. Father, as we, as we pray about next year, as we think about next year, Lord, we pray that you give us boldness to attempt new things with you in 2012. Father, this morning we also pray for churches in Austin and around the world that are proclaiming the gospel, that are proclaiming the birth of Jesus, that are proclaiming the message of salvation. Lord, we thank you that you have given boldness to your church on this Christmas day to gather. Father, we pray this morning especially for Austin Ridge Bible Church, their neighboring church to us. Father, we pray that you continue to bless them, that they would experience a fresh visitation of your spirit. Father, we pray that you pour upon them your grace and favor and let the preaching of your word bear fruit in their midst. And Lord, we pray that your, your word would bear fruit in, in our midst this morning and every day, every time we meet here, Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Father, now we pray for our gifts, for our tithes and offerings. Lord, we bring a portion of your blessings. We bring them back to you to say that we all belong to you. Lord, we bring these tithes and offerings to you with joy. And we thank you that you enable us to contribute to the work of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you'd use these gifts to spread the gospel both locally and globally. 
And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, we continue to worship the Lord with bringing our tithes and offerings. And if you are a guest this morning, this is a time to turn in your guest card. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Thank you, Barbara, and thank you, uh, leaders who have led us in, in worshiping God this morning. It is a great joy to be gathered here on Christmas Day. And as we are gathered here, I want to let you know that for the last three weeks, we have been looking in ways in which Jesus fulfills the themes of the book of Exodus. Now, four weeks ago, we have looked at Jesus as the dwelling of God with men. Three weeks ago, we looked at Jesus as the testimony of God. Then last week, we looked at Jesus as the Lamb of God. And today, on Christmas Day, we will look at Jesus as the true Israel of God, the true Israel of God. I encourage you to open your scriptures this morning to the book of Matthew. We'll really be reading from two parts of scripture. The first part will be Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. And then the second part of our reading will come from the book of Hosea, chapter 11. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 11. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. The word of the Lord says the following to us. 
When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now let's turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 11. The book of Hosea comes to, is right after the book of Daniel, if you're searching in the scriptures. It's the first of the minor prophets, the last section of the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 11. God says the following, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the balls, and they burnt incense to images. It was I who thought to, taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities and will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, He will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admah? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Amen. Let's pray for the word that we have just read and for the hearts that we would be open to receive it. Father, we thank you for this 
word that you give us. We thank you for the fulfillment that we see in the birth of Jesus, of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Father, we pray this morning that you open our hearts, open our minds, enable us to see the ways that you have prepared a way for Jesus to be born. You have foretold us of his birth. And Father, we pray that we would have hearts open to receive your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is a joy and a season of rejoicing and a season of good news. This is the message that the angels brought to the shepherds. We bring you a message of great news, of great joy. A Savior has been born to us. He's Christ the Lord. However, if we read the Christmas accounts, we find that not everyone in Israel rejoiced. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, just a few verses prior to the passage we read, we find out that King Herod heard this news and he was disturbed, greatly disturbed, and with him the entire Jerusalem. And instead of bringing peace on earth, as the angels have told us, we see a massacre in Bethlehem. Instead of joy, as the angels told us, we find out that there's weeping and mourning. Mothers in Bethlehem and in the vicinity of Bethlehem were weeping and mourning, and they refused to be comforted. On Christmas, the message of joy, the season of rejoicing, instead of redemption, we see the family of this baby having to to run away and hide at Christmas. And what's most surprising about these contrasting details of the Christmas story is that we are told they happened in order to fulfill Scripture. Twice in our text this morning, the, the evangelist Matthew tells us that these details happened in order that Scripture might be fulfilled. Well, this morning, I would like to look this, at, at one of these fulfillments. Why is it that Matthew tells us that the, the run to Egypt, the hiding away in Egypt, and then being called back out of Egypt is a fulfillment of the prophet Hosea? This morning, I would like for us to see in what way is the birth of Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, uh, Hosea? In what way is the journey to and from Egypt Egypt, a fulfillment of the Old Testaments. And I would like for this morning to look at the need for fulfillment. And second of all, we'll look at the meaning of fulfillment. In the book of Hosea, the need for fulfillment and the meaning for fulfillment. If we turn to the book of Hosea, we find out that this, this prophet, as a matter of fact, this prophet Hosea was uh, the, the last prophet of the northern kingdom before the northern kingdom was was exiled. After the prophet Hosea, God brought the exile of Assyria onto his people. The book of Hosea was, was written roughly around the same time, a little earlier uh, than the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, ministered in the southern kingdom, but Hosea was in the northern kingdom, and, and the northern kingdom was a little more idolatrous and rebellious than the southern kingdom of Israel the kingdom of Judah. And it's interesting how the book of Hosea 
opens his message. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Dear friends, the reason why this book of Hosea is such a, such a surprise in the book of Old Testament is because God is asking his prophet to marry a prostitute. And he does this in order to show Israel in a very vivid way how far Israel has gone from the Lord. For 10 chapters in the book of Hosea, God is describing to this people the absolute utter rebellion and idolatry, and he, he describes that imagery by using marriage unfaithfulness. Then we get to chapter 11 in the book of Hosea. And chapter 11 is like a, a recounting of everything. It's as if God is is recounting the whole story again. And in verse 1, he goes back all the way to the beginning. And look at the way God recounts his relationship to Israel. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is how the relationship of God to Israel began in the book of Exodus. It, will, it began with God's love for his people, for Israel. And the rescue from Egypt marked the official beginning of this relationship between God and his people. As a matter of fact, one of the great reformers, the greatest reformers uh, of the church, John Calvin, wrote on this passage, and he called the redemption from Egypt as Israel's nativity. The redemption from Egypt was Israel's nativity. And if we, if we look further in how Hosea describes the beginning, Calvin is absolutely right. Look at verse 3. There are images of Israel's infancy. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. And by the way, the word Ephraim there, it refers to the nation of Israel, to the people of God. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the hand, and look at the end of verse 3, and bent down to feed them. Friends, these are three images of infancy. It's as if God is a parent teaching Israel how to walk, taking Israel by the arm, and feeding Israel. This relationship between God and Israel began with the glove that God had for Israel, with the rescue from Egypt, Israel's nativity was described, was explained what happened in the exodus from Egypt. And this is what God did to Israel in the beginning. But notice what verse 2 says, despite the Lord's kindness, Israel refused to follow the Lord. Look at verse 2. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed the balls and they burned incense to images. So notice what the Lord says in verse 5 then. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Wow, do you, real, do you notice how God tells Israel that they will be 
exile. They will go into Assyria. But one of the images that God uses to talk about the exile into Assyria is by saying, will they not return to Egypt? It's as if, it's as if the news that they will be exiled will be an undoing of the exodus. Remember how God brought Israel out of Egypt? So they will no longer be slaves to Pharaoh, but be servants of God. Do you remember how, how, Israel, how the book of Exodus begins and ends? It begins with Israel building bricks for Pharaoh and ends with Israel building a tabernacle for God. God from the beginning had this intent for the people of Israel that they would be no longer serving Pharaoh, but they would be serving the Lord. But here in the book of Hosea, God says the nation of Israel rebelled so much against the Lord, even though God's love and kindness was so clearly exhibited in the infancy stages and throughout the life of Israel, that now God will take Israel into exile, and that story, that scenario, is as if Israel is returning back to Egypt. The Lord is describing this, this, this judgment against Israel by recounting the story of Exodus. Dear friends, this news is, is repeated by the book of Hosea in chapter 13. Again, the Lord says, But I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I cared for you in the desert, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. That's the story of Israel. And dear friends, this is what our, our sinfulness does to us as well. We often turn God's blessings into self-reliance and we develop the impression that we can handle our own lives. Thus pride oftentimes sneaks up on us and we develop a sense of independence from God and lose our sense of need for God. Dear friends, this morning we need to learn from Israel, from their negative experience. God's, God describes the current situation of Israel's idolatry by using the Exodus imagery of rebellion, even though God had provided for them so miraculously. And just like the rebellion of the first generation of Israelites, when God put an end to their hopes to reach the promised land, remember, the first generation of Israelites never made it to the promised land. Why? Because their ongoing rebellion, because their ongoing idolatry. And in a similar way, God says to this nation, Israel, to this generation during the time of Hosea, He says, swords, swords will flash in their cities and will put an end to their plans. Friend, Put yourself in Israel's shoes for a moment. How would you have taken the news that God decides to put an end to your plans? Think for a moment for all the plans that you have for your life right now. What if you heard the message, God will put an end to all your plans? This is not a pretty picture. God decided to bring judgment against his people. And shortly after this prophecy, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Why? Because they're unrepenting idolatry. 
because they're unrepenting idolatry. Yet, dear friends, the message of Hosea does not end here. The message of Hosea does not end with a failure of Israel. And this is the great news of the book of Hosea. Yes, the book of Hosea is full of grief. But in this passage, we see not human grief, but we see the grief of God. Because we see here a picture of God weeping over his people like a mother weeps over her hayward child. Look at verse 8 and 9. Look at the way God weeps and grieves for his people. How can I give you up, Ephraim? This is, the, this is the, the pain of a parent who might consider abandoning the child, who might consider putting up the child for adoption, who might consider putting up the child to, to give him away to some other folks. The pain of, of abandonment. But this is God's pain. This is not our pain. And God says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? Do you see the pain of God and his decision not to abandon Israel even though Israel abandoned God? Friends, this is the greatest pain in the book of Hosea. It's not the pain of the prophet marrying a prostitute. It's not the pain of, of simply marriage unfaithfulness. It's the pain of God over not letting Israel go, even though Israel has been so unfaithful to God. Now, God did exile his people, but his judgment will be only for a moment compared with the depth of God's love for his people. And the book of, Ezra, of Hosea ends with, with a love song that God sings for Israel. And this love song is found in chapter 14, verses 4 through 8. And I encourage you to open there for a moment. But before we look at this love song in chapter 14 of Hosea, do you remember the crossing of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus? What was the first thing that the, that the nation of Israel did once they crossed the sea? They sang to the Lord. In chapter 15 of the book of Exodus, we see the song of Moses singing to the Lord, declaring God's praises, confessing their own sins, and declaring praises to God. What's amazing here at the end of the book of Hosea, it's no longer the people singing a song to God. This time it's God singing a song to his people. You have to imagine, you have to look at this picture of Hosea as a picture of two lovers. And despite their unfaithfulness, they're now being reunited and one of them sings a love song to his beloved. This time, God sings a love song to his people. Hosea chapter 14, verses, eight, verses 4 through 8. Here's what the Lord sings to his people. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. I will, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. Well, let me pause there for a moment. You, you read all these images and they're like, wow, this is an interesting love song. 
But you have to read this against the backdrop of the Song of Solomon. The imagery of nature, the imagery of, of nature being restored and, and linking uh, your, your beloved with a flourishing nature was a way in which love songs in the ancient world was, were often done. And this is what God does here to Israel. Read these imageries of an olive tree, of the wine of Lebanon, of the dew to Israel, of the blossom of the lily, as God restoring his love relationship to Israel. And then look at the way this love song ends in the book of Hosea. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I'm like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Do you hear God's repulsion towards idols? Just as the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus, when God said, have no other gods but me. The difference now in Hosea is that God not only is against idols, but he promises to heal the, the waywardness of Israel. The point, dear friends, in, in looking at the book of Hosea is that God describes not only the past and the present in light of the Exodus, but God describes a future restoration in imagery that reminds us of Exodus. In other words, when God will do all these things for Israel, when God will restore his rough relationship for Israel, it will be as if it's a second Exodus. It will be as if it's a new exodus from Egypt. Now, you may wonder, my friend, okay, we're getting a picture of Hosea, but what does this have to do with Christmas? How does the message of Hosea fulfill Christmas? Dear friends, it has everything to do with Christmas. Because the, the, the writer in Matthew, the evangelist Matthew says, and the scenarios, the details of the birth of Jesus happened in this way. They had, to flee, they had to flee from Bethlehem to go to Egypt so that the prophecy might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. In what way is the book of Hosea being fulfilled in the story, in the birth of Jesus? And this brings us to the second point of the sermon, the meaning of fulfillment in Matthew chapter 2. By Matthew presenting the birth narratives of Jesus as fulfillment of what Hosea said, namely, out of Egypt I called my son, Matthew was literally saying that the birth of Jesus, his journey to Egypt and from Egypt, is a replay of, history, of Israel's history. It's as if God is starting over the story of Israel. And he's starting that over with the nativity. The birth of Jesus is the birth of Israel. It's as if God is starting over the story of Israel and Jesus' birth is recounting that story. Only this time, the actor is not the Son of God, which, by the way, remember in Exodus, it was the people of Israel? Remember how in the book of Exodus, the phrase Son of God was referring to the people of Israel? This time, Matthew says that the 
that the story of Israel is repeated. It's as if, you know, you read a story, you read a book, you start with a beginning, you read through it, but the story gets corrupted along the way. It's as if you're reading a, a storybook to your child and he's, he's, an, he's a young kid and I, we experience this in our home. And as you read, as you turn the pages, he starts writing in them. He starts writing in them and, and this book gets corrupted. You can no longer read it because, because the writing is of this child and the book is no longer new. You cannot give it as a gift to anyone. Now it's used. Pages are even turned off. And it's as if God says, you know what? I'll buy you a new book. And we start fresh. And we start with the nativity. But this time, it's not the people of Israel that are being born. This time, the, the story of God's people begins with a birth, but it's not Israel. It's the true Son of God, Jesus Christ. And everything that happened in his birth, in the way he was born, and then in his ministry and in the series, we have seen how the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus fulfills all the themes, the major themes of the book of Exodus. And then even his death is described in the gospel of Luke as the Exodus. Why? Because, Jesus, because God is rewinding the story of Israel. The first version was corrupted. It can no longer, you can't help but, but abandon it. Yet God said, how can I abandon you, Ephraim? You see, dear friends, in the story of Jesus, we see a fresh start of the nation of Israel. And instead of being an actor that became crooked and corrupted and became rebellious against God, this new actor in the story of Israel is the very Son of God, free of sin, and he lived a life of perfect obedience to God. And he even died on the cross. Why? So that he can undo everything that Israel failed before God. And it's in the, in the coming of Christ that we see the fulfillments of three major prophecies, promises that Hosea gave, that God gave to the, the prophet Hosea. Remember how God said, how can I abandon you, Israel? How can I abandon you, Ephraim? Well, dear friends, in the coming of Christ, God showed Israel that he has not abandoned his people. Remember the question, how can I abandon you? The birth of Jesus means Emmanuel, God with us. Then remember how in the book of Hosea, despite all the, all the, the rebellion, and God said, I will destroy you. I will take you back to Egypt. And he did. He did exile the nation. Yet the way the book of Hosea ends is that love prevails over judgment. Love prevails in the midst of judgment. In the, in the coming of Christ, even though Israel was exiled, and even though Israel at the coming of Christ was under the rulership of the Romans, in a very real sense we could say Israel was still under exile with the Romans. They were not free. They were awaiting the redemption. And it is in this time, in that age, in that scenario, that God sends Christ as a clear message that the love of God for Israel prevailed over his punishment. And thirdly, the third promise that God gave Hosea was that God will heal the waywardness of his people. 
And God promises that in, in, in the song, the last song that we saw in the book of Hosea. You say, how does that happen in Jesus Christ? Dear friends, by sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to live the history of Israel, for Jesus to live that perfect life and yet die on the cross, Jesus healed us of our waywardness. It is amazing. The book of Isaiah. Remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon? Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom. Isaiah was a prophet in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was exiled first. The southern kingdom was exiled second. But the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 5, about Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. How does God heal the waywardness of his people? Through the death of Jesus on the cross. Dear friends, in the coming of Christ, God heals us of our idolatries, of our waywardness. Friends, this is a message of great joy. God is not abandoning us. In Christ, God comes back to us. In Christ, the love of God prevails over his judgment. In Christ, in God heals us of our idolatries. John Calvin said the following about the human heart. The human heart is a factory of idols. The human heart is a factory of idols. Our idolatries cannot be healed through good behavior. Our idolatries cannot be healed by coming to church. Our idolatries cannot be healed by trying to be good people. Friends, the only way our idolatries can be healed is through the cross of Christ. And until we entrust ourselves, until we believe that Christ took the punishment on our behalf, until we look at Christ, Him crucified, until we surrender our lives to Him and believe in Him, our hearts cannot be healed of our idolatries. Dear friend, if you're here this morning and you're still struggling with the idolatries of your own heart and you sense a reality that the idols are still there and you have not surrendered them to God, you still cling to them, you still like Him, you still like worshiping them. Dear friend, Christmas is a message of great joy. God has not abandoned us. God loves us and His love prevails over judgment, but God wants to heal us of our idolatries. If God's song for Israel begins with a promise to heal Israel's waywardness, the song ends with a promise of fruitfulness. God says to Israel, O oh Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? Your fruitfulness comes from me. Friends, the sign that we have been healed of our idolatries is that God becomes the source of our fruitfulness. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, this literally means nothing. People can claim all they want that they have been saved. But until they have been, there has been a change of roots in our souls, until there's been a change of the vine in our lives, we cannot be fruitful before God. Our salvation is not just a decision that we have made when we were young. 
Our salvation before God is a reality that we are being rooted with God in Christ Jesus. And when we are rooted in God, when we are rooted in Christ, there is no way but to be fruitful. There is no way but to be fruitful. As a matter of fact, apart from Christ, we cannot experience any fruit. That's what Jesus says. And that's why Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies, and especially of the prophecy given to, God, to, the, book of, to the prophet Hosea. Dear friend, the reason why Christmas brings us good news. The reason why Christmas is a season of great joy despite the massacre, despite the flee to Egypt. The reason why Christmas is a great joy is because in Christ, God is fulfilling His promises to His people. Christ is the true Israel of God. God has not abandoned His people. God's love prevails in the midst of judgment. God will heal His people of their waywardness. And all these promises are being fulfilled in Jesus. Friend, apart from Jesus, all our efforts to be made right with God will fail. Let me ask you this morning, what hope do you have to be made right with God? Good behavior? Coming to church? Your own efforts? Dear friends, Christmas tells us that it's only in Jesus that we can experience the fruit because Jesus is a true Israel of God. If we look to Christ, if we turn to him by repenting of our sins, by repenting of our idolatries, he will heal us. And look at the way Hosea ends the entire book. The last verse of the book of Hosea says the following, who is wise? Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Are you at this Christmas wise? Are you at this Christmas wise enough to realize these things? Are you at this Christmas discerning enough to understand them? Are you walking in the ways of the Lord? Or are you continuing to rebel against Him? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have found a way to begin the story of people once again in a fresh way. And this time, Father, we have the confidence that it will not fail because the one who is acting out the story, the main character of the story, is no longer us but Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, we want to look up to him. We want to adore him. We want to praise him. And the way he came to relive our story, the way he experienced weakness, the way he experienced the curse of God, the punishment of God so that we might be healed. Father, we look up to your son, Jesus Christ. We look up to him for our healing. We look up to him for our redemption. We look up to him for our salvation. Father, this morning we want to claim today, we want to claim that we want to be rooted in Jesus Christ. We want him to be the vine. We want him to be the, the source of our fruitfulness so that you, O oh Lord, may live within us, so that you, O oh Lord, may dwell within us, so that you, O oh Lord, may create fruit in us so that we may be fruitful. In the name of Jesus, we pray for his glory and honor.
Amen.